You open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 6. When we left off in the middle of December, we, uh, of course, we had several Wednesday nights which were over the Christmas and New Year's holidays. January, we had a, a wonderful concert here with Jonas Woods. And then the last three weeks, Pastor Michael has been ministering. But when we left off, we've been talking about spiritual warfare. And uh, that really, the main scriptures on that in the New Testament are in Ephesians chapter 6. So we'll just read down through them. And I'm not going to go back over other things that we've shared because there's something very important I want to get into tonight. But verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Not our might, His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the deceits or the tricks of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, because that's who we wrestle against, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Now he's going to go down and go through different pieces of the armor, which refer to different articles a Roman soldier would wear in battle. And weeks ago we showed you pictures of some of them, and we may do that in, in, in another week or so, uh, a few more of them. But essentially what these are is putting on God's character, putting on the character and the nature of God. And we went down and we saw, he said here, uh, verse 14, Therefore, having girded your waist with truth, uh, so truth, God is a God of truth. God is truth, God does everything in truth, and therefore the very beginning of doing anything in God is to make sure we're walking in truth. Truth with ourselves and truth with Him and truth with others. Number two, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness is the very nature of God. He is righteous. He is holy. He is pure. And we saw that that has two sides to it. The first side is the righteousness of the outside of that breastplate, which is what everybody else sees. And we saw that when Christ went to the cross, He he took our sin and took the full judgment for our sin. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He gave us His righteousness. He gave us His righteousness. Romans 1.16 and 17 says, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. So the gospel reveals the righteousness that God has given to us as a free gift through Christ. So when we're in a spiritual battle, when you're walking in that righteousness, when you're confident, not in your righteousness, but in the righteousness that God has given you through Christ, then Satan runs into the, his righteousness righteousness, not your righteousness, and that's a defense against him. But we saw that there was the inside of that armor, the inside of that breastplate, which is walking in righteousness yourself. Not perfect, not never making a mistake, but as best you can, walking uprightly before God, before yourself, and before others. And so that was what the breastplate of righteousness was about. Then we saw about shotting or putting on your feet the preparation of the gospel of peace. We saw that the word preparation means actually foundation. And for a Roman soldier in battle, he could have all the best armor in the world on, but if his feet are slipping in the mud, he's going to fall down and he's going to be vulnerable. So I showed you pictures of, of Roman sandals that were like football shoes. They had spikes in them that dug down into the ground, into the dirt, so that they wouldn't slide. And we saw that when it comes to the armor of God, it's making sure that we know that we're at peace with God, that God's not angry at you, because if you can have some doubt in the back of your mind or your heart that somewhere God's upset at you, God's angry at you, it's very hard to stand in a spiritual battle because you're worried about what God thinks about you more than anything else. So knowing that God's not angry at you, knowing that you're at peace with Him is a very important part of being able to stand in any kind of spiritual warfare. And then we saw taking up the shield of it. We'll talk about that later on. With which you're able to quench the fiery darts of the world. Now, we've talked about last time, verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and then the word, sword of the Spirit. And we talked about the helmet of salvation. And that's basically renewing your mind to what the Bible says about you. Not what you feel not what you think about you, not what your mother-in-law says about you, not what the person sitting next to you tonight says about you or the person that sat next to you Sunday morning, not what anybody else thinks about you, but what the Word of God says about you. And it's a process of renewing your mind. Romans 12 verse 2 says that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. And we've studied that scripture before. It means that we, literally the word transform means to take who you've been made to be on the inside and bring that to the outside. 
It doesn't mean become something different. It means the process of taking your real nature and bringing it to the outside. And that process is accomplished as you learn to think the way God thinks about you. And you learn to think the way God thinks about other people. And you learn to think the way God thinks about himself. And the only place to find that out is in this book. The only place, it's not in some other book somebody else read. Those are their opinions of what God's like. But this book is God's revelation to us of what He wants us to know about Him and what He wants us to know about what He's done for us. And so it is a process. It is a lifelong process of renewing your mind. And it's not just reading this book. It's meditating on what it says. And it's speaking out what it says. So we looked at Romans 2, verse 2. It says, "...be transformed by the renewing of your mind." That's to learn to think about yourself and think about the situation. And it's really training yourself when something happens that your very first thought is, what does the Word say about that? Not what do I think. And it's interesting, go back and look at yourself. The last time you were in some kind of crisis, what did your mind run to? Did you first pick up the phone to call somebody to get advice? Did you call a prayer line somewhere? There's nothing wrong with any of that. But our first instinct ought to be, what does God's Word say about this? What is God's words? And if you begin to train yourself with that question, then you'll stop it at least and find out. And oftentimes, if we just learn to stop somewhere, say, wait a minute, I need to find out what the answer is here. And, and part of my legal training, which has been a tremendous blessing in my life, is a training to not react to situations. Even though you're maybe freaking out inside and your brain may turn into jello, to not react, to go find out what are the facts. What does the law say before I react? Because often you'd have a client come in and they're all upset about something. You've got to calm them down and say, let's get the facts. I know what they said, but what's the facts about this? And that's a training that we're drilled in law school, right, gentlemen? We've got two other lawyers in here tonight that we're trained in. It's a process of learning how to think differently. And that's what renewing your mind is. It's learning how to think along a way that God has ordained in the Word of God. And as you, it's a process of training yourself to do that. So renewing that part of putting on that helmet of salvation is to protect your mind because our mind, we learned when we studied renewing the mind several years ago, your mind is a gateway into and out of your spirit man. You cannot receive anything down in your heart that your mind does not accept. Uh, Matthew chapter 13, Jesus talks about this process. He talks about the, 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 the parable of the sower. And he said, the, word, the seed is the word of God. And, and the husband, which is the father, God, he sows the seed to us. So he speaks to us through the word of God. He speaks to us through the word of God. Every time you pick it up, God wants to speak to you. Every time you hear a sermon, a message, whether it's on TV or here or anywhere else, God wants to speak to you through the word. But there's a, there's a battle that goes on for that word. And Matthew 13, the parable of the sower, illustrates this. Because it says in the beginning... When you hear the word and you do not understand it, the enemy comes and steals it immediately. So in order for that word to begin to work in you, your mind has to grasp what it's saying. You have to understand it. If I stood up here tonight and spoke to you in ancient Greek, you wouldn't get much out of it. If I you know, jumped up and down and yelled and screamed, you might get worked up and emotional but you wouldn't learn anything. I have to put it into words that communicate that you can understand and that I can understand what I'm learning. So the beginning of understanding of our mind helps us to take it in. On the same tone, when something comes up out of your spirit, when you get a revelation and the, or the Spirit of God tells you to do something or you see something in the Word and you know, oh, I need to go do that, and you begin to engage your mind in, well, how do I do that? And if your mind begins to argue with it or question it, you won't end up doing what God told you to do. You'll talk yourself out of it. You'll reason yourself out of it, which is why the book of the Bible tells us over and over again, and one of my favorite scriptures is Proverbs 3, 4, and 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean or rely not on your own understanding. We are to have understanding, we are to exercise understanding, but our ultimate reliance is not in our understanding, it's in what God says about it. 
And we learned when we started renewing the mind what the purpose of the mind is. It's not to control and govern you. It's to, it's to carry out the, the, the directions that God gives you either through His Word or directly by His Spirit. Okay. And then uh, James chapter 1 talks about uh, uh, doubting. The word doubt in Greek is the word diakrina, which means to have two minds about something, to be double-minded. And he says in there, to be double-minded, let not that man think that he'll receive anything from the Lord. Not because God's holding it back. We're not able to receive. He doesn't say, don't be double-minded because God won't give to you. He's not talking about what God will give. He says, if you're double-minded, you can't receive it. Why? Because you'll have it one moment and give it away the next. With your mind. Your mind is crucial to faith. Your mind is crucial to your walk with God. Our mind is crucial. That's why God gave it to us. And so many Christians just think that to be led by the Spirit, to follow God, we just throw our mind out and we don't think. And I'm seeing more and more scriptures that talk about thinking and the important part that thinking has in following God and carrying out His will and and understanding God and getting to know God. And then, uh, so so that's what we've looked to up until now. What I want to do tonight is I want to look at a story in the Old Testament that so perfectly captures this process of spiritual warfare through the eyes of a man who learned the things we've talked about and a contrast with others around him that never learned the lesson. So turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Very familiar story. 1 Samuel chapter 17. I'm hoping to finish this tonight, but we may not. Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle. And they were gathered at Succoth, which belongs to Judah. And they camped encamped between Succoth and Azekah in those places. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, and they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle against the army of the Philistines. And the Philistines drew up on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley in between them. So you have this 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 battle array, which is what they would do in the old days, you would have the Israelites lined up on this ridge over here, and you had the Philistines, mortal enemies, lined up on the other side, on this ridge over here, and in the middle was this valley. And they're just stationary there. We're going to find they've been like this for 40 days. Nothing happened. In the morning they get up, they stand opposite each other, and then they go back at night to their camp. Verse 4, and a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines, and his name was Goliath, and he was from Gath, and his height was six cubits and a span. He's about almost ten feet tall, and he had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. Mail is a metal mesh. You've probably seen it when you've seen the Knights of the Round Table and things like that. It was the part of the armor that they wore on the part of their body that bent, like their arms and their legs. But it was covering so that a sword, if it hit it, unless it was a particularly sharp sword and strongly used by a, a soldier, would not cut through it. So that was, that's what the mail was. It's not something that was sent to them over the Internet. Okay. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. That's about 126 pounds of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. That means slung over his shoulders. And the staff of the spear, that's the wooden shaft, was like a weaver's beam and its iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels and a shield bearer went before him. So the, 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 um, the, the head of this spear weighed almost 16 pounds. That's just the head of it. And he had an armor bearer in front of him. The armor bearer, excuse me, shield bearer. And what that is, is he would, uh, 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 he would stand with all of his armor on, but in front of him was a servant who carried the large shield. There was the, the, you'd, Psalm 91 talks about a shield and a buckler. The shield was a large... We may show a picture of this maybe next week when we talk about the, the shield of faith. It was, a, it was about six feet high. 
It was wide enough so that if a soldier stood behind it, you wouldn't see him. And he could set it down so you wouldn't see his feet. That's, and there's, he has a man in front of him whose job is to carry this. A buckler is a round shield that's about a yard in diameter. And it was held over the left arm, or if you were right-handed, left-handed, it would hold over the right arm. And it was used directly in combat, in hand-to-hand combat. So he has a man in front of him carrying this large six-foot shield. That becomes important to us later on. Okay, that's the setting. And here's what's going on. He, the giant, stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out here to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourself, and let him come down here. And if he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. Stop there a second. He's not going to make that boast unless he's certain that he's going to win. So here's where this story begins to tie into what we're talking about. Here you have the good guys. Here you have the church. These are the children of Israel who are in covenant with Jehovah God. And we may get into the blood covenant this year. Who's, who are in covenant with, the, with Jehovah God. And one of the terms of that covenant is, whoever blesses them, God will bless. Whoever curses them, God will curse. Whatever you do to Israel, God will treat you that way. And that's part of this covenant. And this is the covenant people of God. Now, we're the church, the body of Christ. We have a covenant with God that's a better covenant, and this covenant is sealed by the blood of Christ. So we can relate to them. We are the people of God. Over here, you've got the bad guys that are trying to displace them from their destiny and move them out of the land. These are the Philistines. They have no covenant with God. They are outside of a relationship with God, don't want a relationship with God. They send a giant out to taunt the people of God. And here's where it relates to us. We're the people of God. Satan has tormentors whose sole job is to come and torment the people of God, to buffet them, to slow them down, to, to intimidate them. Because what we're going to see happen here is this giant has intimidated the people that have a covenant with God so that they're hiding from their enemies. And that's what Satan wants to do to the children of God. He can't destroy us, but all his, the only weapons he had. Remember what we read back in Ephesians 6, so that we can stand, not against the power of the enemy, but against his schemes and devices. If he had power against us, wouldn't God warn us to stand against his power? But God's informing us of the weapon that He uses. He uses deceit. He uses wiles. When we studied truth, we saw that He works in the area of shadows. He works in the area where you begin to move a little bit away from truth. That's where He works in the area of suggestions and intimidations. He can't deal with truth because He can't stand in the light of truth. That's why Jesus said, if you walk in the light as He is in the light, then the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin and we have fellowship with one another. But if we don't walk in the truth, He can't cleanse us from things we're not facing that we've done with Him and with one another. And so, so, so Satan's weapon is to taunt us, to intimidate us, to tell us what's going to happen to us. You're never going to make it. What kind of per- And to get us to look at ourselves... And that's the key to understanding. And it's all laid out here. All right, with that background, let's begin to look at this. So he would come out and say, look at verse 10. And the Philistine says, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we might fight together. So you have this champion. 
you have this, this accuser of the brethren come out and say, I defy the armies of Israel. Now understand what he's saying there. Israel is not the name of a nation. Israel is a man's name. Abraham beget Isaac, and Isaac beget Esau and Jacob. And Jacob, in his wrestlings with God, on the way back from living with his uncle Laban, wrestled with an angel of God and prevailed with him. And the angel said, what is your name? He said, my name is Jacob, which means deceiver or supplanter, guy who butts in line, takes the wrong place wasn't given to him. He says, no longer you will name be Jacob, but your name will be Israel, prince of God, or one who prevailed with God. And the nation of Israel from that day on was named after this man. So and when it talks about the army of Israel, it's talking about the army that's descended from this man that had a covenant with God. Not just the name of a nation. It's the name of a man from whom they're descended and to whom they're, with whom they're identified. So Goliath's image of them whether that's really what his image is or not, we don't know. What he's telling them who they are. You are just the people of Israel. And I defy you. And Satan will come and tell you who you are. He'll bring up your past and say, you're the, failed, you're the one that failed at this business. You're the one that failed in this marriage. You're the one that failed in this ministry. You're the one that can't ever get anything straight. You're the one that's filed bankruptcy. You're the one that's messed this up. You're the one that has this track record. This is who you are. He'll tell you who you are so he can tell you what you're going to do and what he can do to you. This is spiritual warfare. It works through thoughts. And he'll talk to your mind because he wants, just as God wants you to renew your mind, Satan's going to try to renew your mind and tell you who you are and tell you what you can do and tell you who God is and what God will do to you or for you or won't do for you. All right, let's read on. And Saul and all of Israel, verse 11, heard the words of the Philistines and they were greatly afraid. They heard these taunts. They heard that giant tell them who they were and tell them what he was going to do to them. And they heard the words and they were afraid. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Fear comes by hearing and hearing the word of Satan. Whatever you listen to, if you just, if you allow that in you, it will begin to paint a picture to you and build faith in what it says. Whatever you listen to will begin to build faith in what you're listening to. And they heard these words. It wasn't true, but they listened to them. And they never answered them. So for 40 days, we're going to see twice a day, this giant came out and told them not only who they were, but what was going to happen to them. And they never answered him. They listened 80 times and never said anything back. Undoubtedly, it doesn't say so, undoubtedly they went back into the camp and talked about it, which isn't that what we do? We get a bad report from the doctor or we get some bad report about the economy or some disasters happened on the news or some ISIS does something new and we start talking to people about it. And the more we talk about it, the more we get whipped up about it. Oh my goodness, they laid five people off today. I wonder if I'm next. Well, maybe you're next. I, I know I'm going to be next. And we do all this. We go back into the camp and we talk about what the devil told us. That's just what he wants us to do. Which is why when God gave them instructions for what he wanted to do to conquer Jericho, he told them to keep their mouth shut in the camp. When God told Zechariah what he was going to do, that Elizabeth was going to have a child, and he opened his mouth and questioned it, the angel had to shut him up until the baby was born because he couldn't let him talk. What we say is so important. They were greatly dismayed and greatly afraid. All right, now David, he's a little boy, he's a young boy, he was the son of the Ephraimite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse. And he had eight sons, 
and the man was old and advanced in years in the day of Saul. The three eldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul into battle. And he gives the names of them. So his three oldest brothers are in the army. David was the youngest, verse 14, and the three oldest followed Saul. And David would occasionally go and return from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistines drew near and presented themselves for 40 days, morning and evening. That's 80 times they heard this. And Jesse said to David in verse 17, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this grain and these ten loaves and run to your brothers. In other words, take, a, take, a, uh, take a, this, 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 uh, uh, this uh, what is it? Care yeah, care package. That's the word I'm looking for. Take this care package to your brothers. Verse 19. And bring back news of them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper, and took the things and went to as Jesse had commanded him. And when he came to the camp as the army was going out to fight and shouting for the battle, for the Israelites and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. And David left his supplies in the hands of the supply keeper and ran to the army and came and greeted his brothers. And he ta- as he talked with them, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath, by name, was coming out from the armies of the Philistines, and he spoke to them according to these same words, and David heard them. Now we've seen for 40 days, twice a day, Saul, the king, the commander of the army, and his soldiers heard the words and said nothing back. David, this young shepherd boy, hears the same words. So it's not the words, it's the attitude of the one that hears it. It's not the words that you hear. It's not the temptations He brings to you. It's your mind set and what you've already set and thought, conditioned your mind to that determines what you hear of those words. And David heard them. Verse 24. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have to Have you seen this man who's come up? Surely he's come up to defy Israel. It shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich him with great riches and give him his daughter and give his father's household exemption from taxes in Israel. Well, they knew that all 40 days, but nobody went out there. Nobody was bold enough to go out and claim that. And David spoke to the men who stood with him by saying, What'd you say? What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach of Israel? And look at this. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? The Israelite army, the trained troops of the nation that has a covenant with God and their king called by God, seven feet tall, hear these words. And they hear these words in light of how they see themselves. They see themselves as the army of Israel, as the army of Saul. Saul is their commander. Saul is their defender. And this giant is defying Saul and the armies of Saul. And they're afraid. Little David, the teenage shepherd boy, hears these same taunts and something rises up in him. He says, wait a minute. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? He doesn't care if he's 12 feet tall or 10 feet tall, whatever he was. He doesn't care if he's armed that way. He doesn't care if he's a skilled... All he sees, uncircumcised means he has no covenant with God. So what he's saying is, who is this guy that has no covenant with God? Notice this. Remember what Goliath said? I defy the army of Israel. Look what David says. Who is this? Verse 26. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David has renewed his mind. David has developed a mindset and trained his mind as to who he is, who Israel is, and who God is, and the God that they're in covenant with. And he didn't learn this in seminary. He learned this through the scriptures. He learned this by experience out in the wilderness as a shepherd, because he goes on and say, I know what this God will do. 
because a lion came into the camp to eat my sheep. Then I grabbed him by the beard and killed him. And a bear came and I ripped him apart. I didn't do that. My God did that. So I know what my God will do because my God's in covenant with me. And I'm in co- so he saw God in terms of this covenant relationship. And he saw everybody else and every other threat through the eyes of that covenant relationship. So his immediate question is, do they have a covenant with God like I have? No. So that changes how I see them. I don't see Saul, I don't see Goliath compared to the height of Saul. I see Goliath compared to the height of God. Because this army belongs to God, not Saul. The soldiers, the trained soldiers, saw themselves in light of Goliath as compared to themselves. David's smaller than all of them. This is how you fight spiritual warfare. But he renewed his mind. His mind did not see the same things in the same terms. He saw them through different lenses. I've got a pair of sunglasses that are polarized lenses, and it's fun to play with them. Because if you turn them, they see things differently. They're designed to block out light that is either vertical or horizontal. I don't know which it is. To, to knock out glare. But if you look at like the, your, 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 cell, your cell phone and you turn it sideways, it changes weird colors. It doesn't change colors, but the lens I look through transmit different colors or only let certain colors in to my eyes. David had eyeglasses that only saw things through the covenant that he had with God. And something that didn't fit into that covenant didn't get into his consideration. The littlest one in the whole field. Verse 27, and the people answered him in the Spanish, say, well, so shall it be done for the man who kills him. Now his brothers get involved. We get a little insight into the family here. And some of us, I think, have probably come from a family like this. And Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's aunt's anger was roused against David, and he said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those sheep? In other words, you're not taking care of your business at home, boy. I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you've come down here to see the battle. See, when you're in unbelief, you're jealous of somebody that's in faith. You want to tear them down somehow. If you're in faith, people, that's what Jesus dealt with, Pharisees. They were always trying to destroy him, tear him down, tear down his witness. Why? They were, he was threatening to them because he walked in truth and he walked in a power and ability that was beyond them and it threatened them. Verse 29, and David says, what have I done now? Which kind of implies they've run into this before. What what have I done now? Is there not a cause? And he turned from them toward another and said the same thing. And the people answered him as the first one did. Now when the words that David spoke were heard, they were reported to Saul. Words of faith will get reported somewhere. They were reported to Saul and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart look at let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Now just imagine it. You got the king. He's the commander of the army, but he's king of Israel. He's been hiding in fear with his soldiers, and this shepherd boy comes and says to him, "Don't be afraid. I'll go kill him." Well, that's a little threatening because it's exposing their fear and unbelief. On the other hand, they're not doing too well on their own. So look at Saul says. Now David's got his brothers telling him, pulling on the family ties. Come on, you're the kid. You're always walking in pride. You're always trying to get ahead of us. Just be quiet and know your place. The devil will tell you that. Now the authority's telling him, the king who he's supposed to respect and honor, the commander of the army is telling him. Look what he tells him. Verse 33, Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine and fight for him, for you're but a youth and a man of war, and he's a man of war from his youth. So you've got the brothers who know him 
pulling on those emotional family ties saying, come on, you're just trying to make trouble again. And now you've got the king, his authority, looking down on him from seven feet, saying, you can't do this, you're just a little boy. And he's a trained professional soldier from his youth. You, so the, the king's telling him he can't do it. His brother's family's telling him he can't do it. And the devil will use your family. And the devil will use authority if they're, will, if they're not in faith to tell you what you can't do. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lion, a lamb out of the flock, I went down after him and struck him and delivered the lamb from his mouth. And rose, when it rose up against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both a lion and a bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defined the armies of the living God. That's all he saw things in terms of. This man has no covenant with God, and he's defied God's army. By the way, the armies of the living God literally means the armies that belong to the living God. So David sees this whole issue as a battle between Goliath and God. Not Goliath and him. Not Goliath and the people of the of Israel. It, the whole point tonight is David's mind thought in different terms. His mind thought in terms of what the Scripture says about him and what the Scripture says about God. And the question is, when Satan comes to you and tries to tell you who you are and what you can't do, he may use family, he may use people you respect, and tries to tell you what you can't do and what you're not, is your mind renewed enough to not accept that, but to think in terms of what God says about you, not what they say about you, not even what you say about you? The only way to defeat the giants in your life is to learn to think in God's terms, not in the terms of the world. Moreover, David said, The Lord, who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. So, remember, the Goliath comes out, and he declares with his mouth what's going to happen to Israel. Israel hears this 80 times and never answers him back. David now is declaring what he's going to do to the giant. He's declaring ahead of time. In the natural, it looks impossible. David's going to have to look way up at this guy. David has no armor, but he has God. He has a covenant with God that is more real to him than the armor Saul's going to put on him. That's more real to him than the armor that the giant has on. More real than that spear that weighs 126 pounds just in the head of it. More real than anything he can see is this covenant he has with God. How did it become more real to him? He spent time meditating on it. And then he acted on what he read. He acted on what he knew. He acted on it by standing up and fighting the enemies that came across. He grew in faith so that when this test came, he was ready to deliver Israel, not just himself. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the bear and the lion, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. So Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a bronze helmet on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David fastened the sword to his armor and tried to walk, but he'd not tested them. And David said to Saul, I can't walk with these. I've not even tested them. Imagine, you know, Saul's seven feet tall. So they must have just kind of, you know... Sleeves must have hung off him. The, the helmet must have hung down like this. The, 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 the boots flapped around. You can just picture this. You know, he's like a kid wearing his dad's suit. You know, and he says, look, this, this, I've never tested this. I don't put my confidence in your armor because I've never tested it. So David took them off. Verse 80, 40, excuse me. Then he took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's bag, in a pouch which he had, and his sling was in his hand, and he drew near the Philistine. Now the Philistines comes up and begins to draw near David, and the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked out and saw David, he disdained him. So we've had his family tell him he can't do it. We've had his leader tell him he can't do it. Now the enemy's telling him, 
disdaining him. For he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. The Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come out to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. He's telling him ahead of time what he's going to do to, to David. Isn't that what the devil does with you? He tells you what he's going to do to you. You step out and do that. You step out of that ministry. You step out and give that. You step out and do that, and you're going to go broke. You're going to lose everything you have. You're going to fail. You're going to die. You're going to fail. You're going to be embarrassed. You can't do that. He tells you what's going to happen. And the question is, what do you do with what he tells you? What do you do with what he tells you? Verse 45, David said to the Philistines, see, David answered him, you come to me with a sword and a spear. <laughs> Look at the, the Philistines said, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? So all you've got are sticks. You've got this sling. You just got sticks to fight me. And I've got this shield and this sword and this javelin. David says to me, you come to me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin. That's what you bring to this battle. But I come to you in the name of of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, who you've defied. In other words, boy, you're in trouble. <laughs> Let's talk about what we're being... See, we're talking about weapons of spiritual warfare. In the natural, in whatever their West Point in Annapolis was of their day, I guarantee you a sling with five stones was not considered an adequate weapon against an armored giant not by conventional strategy or anything that makes sense. But then again, we're learning to not trust in our understanding. And the giant says, you're coming at, you're insulting me as if I'm a dog that you would come to me with sticks. And David says, well, let's take a look at what you got to this battle. All you've got is an armor, is a javelin and a spear and bronze. I come to you in the name. My weapon is the name. My weapon is the name of the Lord of hosts. That's the army of God. Whom you've defied. You've insulted the God of Israel and I come to you as His representative in His name. Now, this is what I want you to see tonight. They're both looking at the same facts. We've already seen what the facts are. The giant is real. He's not some figment of their imagination. He's not some hologram or something. He's 10, 12 feet tall with bronze helmet, heavy bronze helmet, breastplate, mail on his arms and legs, bronze sheaves on his, le on his feet and his, his, his shins. A spear that weighs, at least all we know is the head of it is 125 pounds. He's got a man in front of him with a full-size shield walking out into battle. David's got whatever his cloth tunic is, and he's got a sling, which was not, you know, one of these things. It was something that swing around like this with five stones, and that's it. Those are what you would see if you were looking at this scene. And that's what Goliath sees. That's what Saul sees. That's what the army of Israel sees. But David sees something different. David takes those facts and in his mind, because his mind has been renewed to what God's covenant is, David interprets those facts in light of the covenant. And it doesn't matter what he sees with his eyes because he's seeing through us through those Polaroid lenses of the covenant and all it says is I don't see a circumcised enemy. I don't see a mark of a covenant on you. That means you're outside of God's protection and you are God's enemy let alone what you've said. I see myself through these lenses. I see myself as a man, young boy. I don't care how big I am. How big I am and what I have is completely irrelevant. The only thing that's relevant is who I'm in covenant with. 
And that's how I see this. Why? Because his mind had been renewed to think on God's terms, not the terms that what he's been taught by the world. And it makes all the difference. Imagine the things that God has prepared for you to do. That the enemy has come against you and talked you out of it, threatened you, or me, or us, or a church. Because we don't have the resources. We don't have this. We can't do this. We've never done this before. I've never seen anybody do this before. But Jesus said, the works that I do shall you do also, and greater works. Well, I've read discussions about what the greater works are. I'm not going to think about the greater works until we're doing the works. He raised the dead. He cast out demons. He healed the sick. Blind eyes opened. Deaf Deaf people heard. Legs grew out. Arms grew out. Seemingly impossible things happened because with him there's nothing that's impossible. And then he's told us to go do the same things. But our mind talks us out of it. Oh, I can't do that. I've never seen anybody do that before. That's not thinking in God's terms. That's thinking in natural, conventional, religious terms. And Satan comes at us and says, well, who are you to do this? You've never done that before. Ever seen that done before? Nobody's doing that. What do you think you are? It intimidates us. That's spiritual warfare. Well, let's close with this and see what happens here. Verse 45 again. David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you defied. This day... The Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and take your head from you. This day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth and all the earth will know that there's a God in Israel. He's still a little kid facing this giant. Nothing looks any different, but he's declared that I will destroy all of the armies of the Philistines and give them as the birds of the prey because they've defied my God. Then all the assembly shall know that the Lord is not saved with sword or spirit, for the battle is the Lord's, with sword or spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into my hands. So it was that when the Philistines arose and came near to David, that David hurried and ran towards the army to, towards the army to meet the Philistine. He's running at the Philistine. He can't wait to get at him. And David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him, but there was no sword in David's hand. Therefore David ran and took over, stood over the Philistine, took his sword, drew it out with his sheath, and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled a little shepherd boy defeated the army of Israel of, of, of the Philistines and the giant of their day with his own sword with five stones. Now let me show you, we'll end with this, what I believe happened. You've got the giant standing here, 10, 11, 12 feet tall, with a bronze helmet on. I didn't put any pictures up today, but, but the heaviest part of the, of the helmet was in the front of the forehead down over the nose because this spot right above your nose is a very vulnerable spot. And so they would have that covered with the thickest part of the helmet. He's got in front of him this shield bearer whose shield was at least six feet high. And then you've got David running at him who's maybe six feet. He may not be six feet. And all we know is that he slung the stone in the air and it sunk into the forehead of the Philistine giant. And I was meditating on this one day, and I realized, wait a minute, the angle has to be such that if he threw it straight, it would have hit the shield. It would have never gotten to him. And if he lobbed it over, then it would have gone up in the air, and it would come down with its own momentum and hit him either on the top or here. But in any event, that wouldn't be hard because to sink into his forehead, it had to get through the bronze armor. So here's my belief of what happened. That what David said is, I come at you in the name of the Lord of hosts. The battle's not ours. The battle is the Lord's. I believe what David did is he ran at him. He could have thrown it anywhere. 
I believe he let it go up in the air. And when he let it up go in the air, the hand of God took it. And the hand of God drove it down into that Philistine's head. And the hand of God's waiting to do it for you. Against your giant. What is your giant? What is it there in your life telling you can't go any further? What is it in your life that the devil is using to tell you you'll never amount to it, you can't do this, you'll never do this, you can't hear from God, you can't do this? It's always something you can't or something that disqualifies you, something about you. Notice David doesn't say anything about himself. The giant tells him, you're just a, you know, who am I? You're my dog? You're just a scrawny kid. Saul told him he was a scrawny kid. His brothers told him he was a proud, arrogant, scrawny kid. David never said anything about himself. David wasn't even looking at himself. He wasn't looking at what he could do. All David knew is who his God was. All David knew is what God had done for him in the past. And all God David knew is the promise God had made through the covenant. And again, the point of this whole story, for our purposes, is the, is the helmet of salvation, is to have your mind renewed to the point where you know what God says about you. And whatever somebody says, whatever the devil says, whoever he may use, from relatives to authorities to people you respect or your boss, whatever it may be, to circumstances to even your own thinking, you've got to filter it through the glasses of God's Word, what God says about you. And it's so important because what was at stake here was not just David's future. What was at stake here was the nation of Israel the armies of God. Their army, their enemy was defeated because one little boy, one scrawny kid had renewed his mind to what God's word said and the covenant that God had made with him. And then he acted on what he knew. Let's pray. Father, you know where each one of us is tonight. You know the battles of our life. You know the the struggles that Satan has used to, to buffet us and to hinder us and to intimidate us, individually and maybe even as a church. We come to you, Father, tonight to repent of unbelief and repent of looking only at ourselves and being afraid, intimidated by the enemy of our soul. And we commit tonight, Father, to take this word and the things you promised in this word and the things you've said about us in this word, and the things you've said about yourself in this word, and to commit ourselves to begin to renew our mind to it, to meditate it, to study it, to speak it over ourselves, and to speak it over the situations. Not in our own boldness, not in our own arrogance, but by faith in the word of the living God. Thank you so much, Father, for this story that gives us such a clear example, a clear example of what in our lives we need to change and what we need to do. And we thank you that just as you were the God of Israel and the God that was with David, so you are the God that is with us tonight. And the same covenant promise that you made with him, you've made even sure with us because we have a better covenant that's been made on better promises, sealed in the blood of the Son of the living God on Calvary. And so we put our trust and faith in him and the covenant we have with you through Christ Jesus. And for that we give you thanks. Amen.